Welcome to Point with Daryl Jones, speaker, author, and lead pastor of the Rock Fellowship Church in Miami, Florida, and president of Point Ministries. Our goal at Point Ministries is to point you to the Word of God, where Jesus is the point. Today's message is from the Christ Supreme series, where Dr. Jones teaches verse by verse through the book of Colossians to show that Jesus Christ reigns supreme above any alternative the world offers. Now let's join him for today's message. Colossians chapter 1, picking up at verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Today's title is Christ Supreme. Uh, a couple of years ago, one of my younger sons, uh, he was right around the age of four or five. He had gotten a new bike and we were getting him on his bike and he was riding and he got to the point to where he wanted to challenge his daddy. He wanted to challenge me in a race. Now, he was going to ride his bike. He didn't want me to ride my bike. He wanted to ride his bike and he wanted me to run next to him in a race. Uh, at that time, I felt like obliging him. You know, I kind of felt like showing him, you know, he can know, you know, who daddy is, right? You know, so I said, let's race. So we got up in front of the street, right, the street right in front of our house, and we marked it off, and one of the other children said, go. They dropped their hand, and we took off running. And, of course, you know, he's four or five years old. I beat him. I won. The funny thing wasn't about me winning and beating a four or five-year-old in a race with me on foot and him on a bike. The funny thing is what he said next. He said, Daddy, you're so fast. I bet you could beat boat running. And I started laughing and I said, I love the confidence he has in his dad. I love that he thinks that I'm arguably the fastest man in the world. And I had to quickly let him know, like, Daddy. I mean, I, said, I had to quickly let him know that I said, Son, your daddy used to be fast, but even on my fastest day, I'm not even on the same planet as you say, Bolt. I, I laughed and I got such a kick out of it. I even had, I, I might even post it on Facebook. I know I reached out to some family and friends to tell them because, you know, I used to run a little track in my day and I won a couple of conference titles in college, but I was nowhere on Bolt's level and I knew it. It is interesting when we understand categories and levels of greatness. 
Sometimes greatness has been so saturated and so misused, we say things are actually great when they're actually kind of just, mm, okay. You know, at the moment it might have seemed something special, but it's really not that special when compared to actual greatness. And, and greatness is tough to categorize even in itself. I remember uh, Hall of Fame coach Mike Dicker once said, it's hard to define greatness, but you do know it when you see it. And I've come to realize going through life, I see, sir, even when I don't know something, even when I don't know about something, when you see something that's done great, like I, I've been in places where certain types of music, I don't know that music, I don't even know what they're saying, but greatness comes off and you find out it was some top seller. I'm like, oh, now I get why, because it's actually great. In this letter to the Colossians, Paul on an overarching kind of meta scale, he's arguing that Christ is supreme over all else. The message of the gospel is greater than any other message. The ideology, the philosophy of the gospel, the theology of the gospel, the history of the gospel in its truth makes it greater than everything else and we pick up here in our passage where he's laying out in poetic fashion just how supreme Christ is. Now, we're familiar with Supremes, too. I, I, I picked up on Supreme because it was kind of my, my fast food, kind of, you know, kind of my fast food side of me. You know, when you go and you, you want to order and they got that thing that say Supreme, that means that's the biggest one on the menu. Well, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I want the Supreme here. They, they hold it out on me. I don't want the regular. I don't want the medium. I don't want the large or the extra large. If the supreme is what it is, I want the supreme. In this, what's known to be the Christ hymn, Paul in this letter, he said in the tone, last message, last week when we looked at the first part of this letter, he was praising God for what God has done, and now he's starting to dive in, in the message, in the meat, in the nitty-gritty of what God has done in the Colossian church and what God is doing in the world as the gospel is spreading and how significant this is. And remember, this is couched in the context so that the Colossian church won't be distracted by attacking messages. Those messages and ideologies and belief systems and faith systems that are coming against the gospel to turn them from fully trusting Jesus Christ and all that Jesus Christ has to offer. And those messages can be mixed, a little bit of Jesus and some other things, or it could be totally Jesus is not enough. You need this. You need X. Jesus can't help you here. You need to turn to this. You need to look to this. And there's a replacement of sources and priority in all these other messages. And this hymn, this Christ hymn, reinforces the fact that the gospel is the word of truth, as the Apostle Paul has stated. And they don't need to look anywhere else. He starts off and he's letting them know in this hymn. And, and, and let, let, me, let me share this. The reason you keep hearing me say hymn it may be a little different than what, we're, what we understand today as hymns, but scholars, when they look at this, because of the poetic nature and how these verses flow, it's, it's understood to be some sort of hymn or poem that may have been memorized. You know, we learn songs and we learn things, and even when we're studying in school, sometimes we'll turn a history lesson into a song so that we can remember it and be able to recall it 
accurately as needed. These are all kind of learning techniques, and this is assumed to be one of those because of the poetic nature of it, that it could be memorized so that they would always understand who exactly Jesus is. And he starts off in verse 15, and he says, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, you see that he is going back up to what was just said before about the Son, the eternal Son of God. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. And you may sit there and think about image. You know, that sounds familiar. We, we read in Genesis 1 that God created male and female. He created mankind in his image and likeness. But, but, but notice something else is being said here. It's not saying that he was made in the image. It says that he is the image. We understand how important images are today, especially, you know, with the, with the rise of social media. You know, I, I know most people, if you're like me, when you get a friend request on, say, Facebook and they don't have a picture on there, it's like, I don't know who that is. I'm not I'm not accepting that friend request. I need to see who you are. You know, and and the reason this is important over the last few years, we heard about and we've learned about and they've even made a show. There's been a phenomena that's called catfishing, you know, where somebody creates false pseudo profiles with fake pictures and they get over on people, whether it's romantically, whether it's for money, whether it's just for a laugh. People have been in full-blown relationships with somebody over a course of months and even years and they have never seen this person in person and they have a false image in front of them only to learn sadly that they've been duped, that they've been tricked, that they've been deceived. Think, think, about, think about how important an image is. You know, you go years past before communications has advanced like it, it has. We used to send letters. You had pen pals and you would send it back and forth. You hoped that the person sending that you were talking to was the person you thought it was. You know, then we got the, the telephone. And then, you know, within that, we had the telephone and the email. You, you hope that the person you're talking to was the person. And then we fast forward to social media. We can see all these images and videos. And now we got stuff like FaceTimes and Zoom and and teams and images, it's important to understand and communicate who someone is. Reason I said that this is we have to understand who this is right off the bat when it comes to Jesus as being the image of the invisible God. He's saying right off the bat to see Jesus is to see God. If we want to see God with our human eyes is to see Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul is not the only one to have said this. John has even said this. Jesus said it of himself in John's gospel. When, when he was asked, show us the Father, Jesus says, have you not seen me? To, to see me is to see the Father. It's, it's, it's amazing that I've worded this this way as I was preparing and looking at my notes, I said, you know what, what was awesome about the coming of Jesus Christ is that none of us would ever be catfished again, that none of us would ever be fooled again about who God truly is, that no other rival can come and present themselves as God and we be fooled and deceived to thinking that they are indeed God because the image of God has been given to us in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So, Anything that's coming in the place of God that is not Jesus is trying to catfish you. It's trying to fool you. 
He's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. It's, it's trying to deceive you. It's a deception. We hope this message is blessing you today. Before we continue, we want you to know about Point Ministry resources. Please visit daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org and subscribe to receive our refuel devotional and view other discipleship materials. Our goal is to point you to the Word of God, where Jesus is the point. Now let's rejoin Dr. Jones for the rest of today's message. This is a he is the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, he, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation. Remember, I've explained to people sometimes, you know, you think you're going to die and go to heaven and you're going to see the father and you're going to see the son. You see the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, Jesus is the manifestation. Jesus is the one that makes God known. We can see him. He is the image. He's letting us understand who this Jesus is so we can understand his relationship to God and how we relate to God ourselves. Now, when he says he's the image, one thing that he's doing, too, he's showing that Jesus is not the father. He is the image of the father. Meaning, if you're going to see and know the father, it's to see and know the son. So when we say Jesus is God, we're not saying that Jesus is the father. What we are saying is Jesus is God. We're going to unpack that a little more, but I want to get this right off the bat and understanding who he is. He is the image of God. And this is big because Moses asked God, let me see you face to face. Let me see you. And in Exodus 33, verse 20, God told him, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. So he let him see the back of his glory. This was huge. But this is what's interesting when you go through the Old Testament, you see these manifestations of, of God and God dealing with people. John's gospel in John chapter one, verse 18, he says this. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is the, at the father's side. He has revealed him. I, I, I like the word that John uses there uh, from, a, from a scholar. I like to translate that word. He has exegeted him. He has manifested. He has explained him. To see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus, to know Jesus is to see and know the Father. He starts this hymn off with this truth, with this reality that Christ as the image of God is for us to look at Jesus and to know God. Meaning we can know God truly until we look to Jesus. This is how important, and this is the bedrock of the gospel message. This is the foundation of understanding who Jesus is, which makes his work, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection meaningful in any way because of who he is right off the bat. It says that he is the image of God. And then he transitions from Jesus' relationship to God and who God is to Jesus' relationship to all of creation. He says that he is the firstborn over all creation. We are not to understand firstborn solely in the context of how we use that terminology today. You know, you may have an older child among other siblings and that older child, you know, pulls rank. You know, like in our house, uh, whoever the oldest one is, 
and no parent in the room, they call the shots on a remote control. You're like, they control. I always joke, whoever holds the remote control holds all the power in the house, right? I think that's kind of true, <laughs> at least to a certain extent. You know, but that, that, that older sibling, the oldest sibling, you know, they, they exercise certain rights and authorities because of their placement in the family. That is not necessarily the only thing that this word communicates when it comes to Jesus, because this word in the Old Testament, this exact same word is not just used for the firstborn child. It's also used for certain rank and authority in relationship to authority, meaning the Lord himself uses this exact word for King David in his relationship to Israel. He calls David my firstborn. He's communicating a relationship to himself as God and also his relationship to everybody else. As David was the firstborn, he exercised kingship and authority over all under his rule. We see this same word used for the nation of Israel in Exodus and in Jeremiah, where God calls the Lord himself, Yahweh Jehovah says, Israel is my firstborn. Now, we all know historically God created the heavens and the earth, and there were nations that existed before the nation of Israel. And yet Israel is called the firstborn. So when the Lord communicates this firstborn, he's communicating something significant when it comes to relationship with himself as God and relationship to the creation. He says he's the firstborn over all creation. That means that Jesus himself, the eternal son of God, exercises authority and supremacy over all creation. Everything that has been made. And then he tells you how and why. He says, how and why is this? He is the creator. Everything that was made was made by Jesus through Jesus. Jesus is the creator and the agent of creation. Again, Apostle Paul, is not, it's not the first time he's been saying this. It's not all the apostles preach this. All the representatives of Jesus preach this. This goes to the beginning. This is part of the faith that was once for all given to the saints. John's gospel starts with Jesus as the, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Meaning everything that has ever existed and will exist has come through Jesus. So Jesus precedes creation and is creator. He has made everything. He's the firstborn over all creation. And just so we understand this a little more deeply, he says that he's creator over all things visible and invisible. He's creator of the physical creation and the immaterial creation. You know what that means? It means when we look at matter and antimatter, when we look at solid, liquid, gas, Jesus made all of it. But then not just the material. It says that even when it comes to the immaterial, let's look at what it says. In verse 16, it says, everything created by him in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, 
Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. What's it? Physical creation. He, he says in heaven and on earth. So he made humans and, and all human beings, all mankind made through Jesus, all animal life, everything in the world, every planet, every star. I recently was talking to somebody and they were talking about the Bible, you know, being, you know, that's based off of older religion on constellations. I said, no, let me clarify something right there. The Bible is communicating to God who made the constellations. He gave us the constellations so we may know seasons, not order our lives by our lives are to be ordered by Jesus because he made it. But not just physical. He said, science, all scientific theory comes from studying the physical creation. Meaning logic and the concepts in mathematics. You know who made those concepts that are invisible? Jesus. It's like, whoa. Like the, the, the ordering in logic is created immaterially by Jesus. So if you're going to have any reasoning skills, thank Jesus that he gave it to you. Thank Jesus that he made things in such a way that we can see order, we can see consistency, and we can gain understanding. The gravity that holds everything together in, on these planets and mass, Jesus created gravity. The law of gravity, yes. You know, all these scientific laws, Jesus made them. Visible, invisible. He says that not only did he make them, he holds all things together. Holds all things together. You know what's amazing? You learn in science. I, you know, I'm a nerd. I like studying all kind of subjects. There's a, there was a scholar that, that actually made a movie from it. It was called The Privileged Planet. And one of the things it was talking about was how the position of Earth in the cosmos, we're in a position no, no other planet is in because of right where we are positioned, we are in a place where we can look out and see the universe, we can look out, we can send things out, we can see where other things have blockages and, and things in the way. And uh, we can actually see distances where other planets wouldn't have the capabilities. If we want another planet, we wouldn't have the capability. But then even that, if you move Earth just one tad closer to the sun, it would be too hot for life to exist. If you moved it just one tad further from the sun, it would be too cold. Life would cease to exist on Earth. We are Perfectly positioned for life to exist. And it says that Jesus holds that together. He set the formula for it and holds it together. I had a professor one time tell me something that just, you know, it's just one of those, those paradoxes. He says, can you, can you believe that when Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, that even as a baby in the womb, he was holding the universe together. What a mighty God we serve. Jesus is creator, but then he's not just creator and the agent of creation. He doesn't just hold creation together. Jesus is the goal of creation. It says that the whole of creation was created through him and, 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 and to him it's, and for him. This language that's being used is saying that the goal that we're trying to reach, the finish line, is Jesus that's why when we preach so much and we talk about spiritual maturity, as was spoken of, that was written in the verses just preceding this. 
Verses 9 through 14 of what Christ has done and their expectation of spiritual growth. The whole point is that we become more Christ-like, meaning the goal of creation is Jesus. So when the fall happened and we have sin came and wrecked the creation, the goal was that it be redeemed back unto Christ and walk out and be fulfilled and to be fulfilling his purposes in Christ. He's the goal of creation. I love it. It's, it's almost like, what other message is worthy of trusting apart from Jesus? Because Jesus is creator of all. And if we're going to see God, I said earlier in the sermon, when we go to heaven, if we, if we had died yesterday and we went before the Lord, we're not going to see three different dudes sitting on the couch. You're going to look at one. To see Jesus is to see God. The deity of Jesus Christ. And that's where we get the Nicene Creed affirming that the Bible does teach that Jesus is everlasting. No beginning, no end, and that all of creation has come through him. He's not part of the creation. He is set apart of the creation and over the creation. As the eternal son of God, he has no rival. There is no competitor in the race. Thank you for listening to Point with Daryl Jones. This was just one part from the Christ Supreme series, where we learn Jesus Christ has no rival and that he reigns supreme. If this ministry has blessed you and you would like to partner with Point Ministries, please visit daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org. Your financial generosity keeps us on the air, and we are grateful for your faithfulness. Also, if you would like to hear more from the Christ Supreme series, please visit daryljones.org. And remember, keep making Jesus the point.